And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we are re-airing a show that was first aired in 2014. It's our first interview with Swami Satchidanat, known as Reverend Sally Perry. The interview from 2014 actually hasn't been up in a long time, and the audio wasn't good, so I was able to revise the audio so it's much more clear. And also, it features a forensic soul analysis done by the virtues, Carrie O'Connor, Lisa Kaza, and Constance Dellis, which is towards the end. Swami Satchidanat is an amazing teacher, and it's not so much the words that you hear, but the energy. So when you Listen to her speak. Try to focus on her energy because it's beautiful. I met with her in person a, a few times, and she's just incredible. She has this very warm, beautiful energy. She's definitely a warrior of the light, and I believe that she's one of the more powerful teachers on the planet right now. So let us begin tonight's program. Our guest today on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show is Reverend Sally Perry. She is a master of spiritual medicine of Cherokee lineage. She's a visionary spiritual healer and teacher. She's got a very unique gift of being able to see into a person's soul and to access the Akashic records. She is author of Chronicles of a Healer, She Who Dances, and the book A Master's Teaching to an American Healer in Immortality. She is a phenomenal teacher, and we're honored to have her with us. Ms. Perry, welcome to the program. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. Ms. Perry, your book, Chronicles of a Healer, talks a lot about your life and uh, a lot of what you had gone through. Can you please describe and explain how you came in contact with your spirit guides and why you were able to engage your spirit guides, whereas most children, I guess before the age of 12, maybe either don't talk about it as much. What, why were you able to access and talk to your spirit guides? Well, I believe that our soul is eternal, and I feel that when my soul came in, it had already awakened and was knowing. And uh, at three, three years old, I had the experience of swinging and realizing I was out of my body pushing my swing when my mother came out and realized that it frightened her because she thought someone was alone with us there and uh, I jumped back in my body stopped the swing and realized that her mind thought she had imagined so from that point on I was very aware of my guides being with me okay now when you say you swung out of your body what was what was that process like? Which means that your body was just kind of going through the motions of being on the swing, and you were physically outside of your body doing something else, observing your body. 
my physical body as a three-year-old was swinging on this swing on this little island in Florida that my father was caretaking. My spirit body was out pushing her higher and higher. Oh, wow. And I was giggling and having a good time. But, of course, when my mother came out, she couldn't see my spirit body. She thought there was someone that had come there, and she was frightened. Okay. Now so I got back. I knew that when you're out, you're aware of your presence of the physical and what's going on. So I jumped, my spirit body jumped back into my physical body and stopped the swing. So she um, thought she imagined I was swinging that high. Now, before the age of 12 years old, what not, were you aware, actively aware that you've been you've been on earth before? When did you come to the first realization of reincarnation or start to realize that you had lived previous life incarnations? Well, I always asked my mother if she found me by a rock. I didn't feel like I belonged in that family structure with the abuse that was going on. And I, I just felt, I kept saying, did you find me by a rock? It was many years later when I worked with my mentor, Beautiful Painted Era, and was doing a world peace dance and Magdalena, uh, Colorado or New Mexico, I'm not sure where that was, uh, that I realized that that it was a past life. I had full memory of a past life and where I had died and thought that I was in my mother's way and I'd been hit by a stone. That's why I kept saying, did you find me by a stone? Okay. And reading in your book, you have described some pretty, I call them graphically horrific past life experiences, according to, I guess, people, which what they would consider to be normal. And one way, like you were, one instance, you were, we were held down as an Indian girl and you were raped as you were being cut to pieces. And there's another one you had had, I remembered, where you were crucified. And then you had another one where you were being eaten alive by a lion. Why did you, um, do you have any idea or can you explain why you had lived such, you know, hard past lives or why your past lives involved such excruciating pain? Well, I started studying to be a unity teacher in 1987. Uh, uh, with my goal of becoming a unity minister. Uh, What happened during that time of writing forgives and releases, I feel that the meditative state I was able to go into and the releasing of, uh, by forgiving people in this life of things that had happened, opened a doorway for me to experience that which was still stored in my DNA. See, when we die, we take our strongest thought, emotion, and our heart center. And that's what we reincarnate with to to, uh, fulfill our karma or dharma, Uh, dharma being that which is good for us. Uh, Karma is unsettled things that uh, seem to haunt us 
lifetime after lifetime where our soul gets stuck in certain patterns. Okay. I'm curious, but if you were to live a lifetime where your purpose of that lifetime was to experience an amount of pain for the greater good of your evolution, because that was what your higher self wished upon you for that, and you had experienced the trauma of doing that, and you fulfilled the process, why would that experience haunt you in an upcoming lifetime when your higher self had been planning for that all along, when that was part of your evolutionary growth? I mean, wouldn't your higher self be more haunted by the idea of you not having to have that experience and feeling unfulfilled? You have to understand the difference between the embodied soul and the supreme soul. The embodied soul is what holds the memories and the karma. And if we hold that and it bothers us in a lifetime and we're not able to release it, we're going to come back in some way and relive that. Okay. Is it possible to get a, a couple examples of how that would occur for somebody who has never like understood this process? What's an example of an experience of that taking place? I once had a client, and I won't give names, in um, Pennsylvania where I was working. I used to work on this 10 acres, and they set up a tent with screens. And I did some pretty heavy work there. There was a woman that was having trouble uh, with a violent husband divorcing him, and she was frightened. Uh, I saw where in another life he had put her in a cage because he couldn't control her. He kept her in that cage. But three lifetimes before, he had imprisoned her in other countries and other lifetimes, other situations. So the most, I go back to the roots of the karma, and so what happened is I got her all the way back, got her out of the cave where she was in prison, got her out of the pre prison where she was, and then the third one just before this life was where she was trapped like on a mountainside, but there was like a gate where she couldn't get out. So I opened the gate, and I had her get out, and we left. And about a month later, she called me. She was all the time doing forgives and releases on him. And he very kindly signed the divorce papers and left her alone, and she moved on. Okay. Lots of times, I'll see eight or ten lifetimes where people are stuck in the same patterns. Another is a man that I dated back when I was dating, now as a Swami, and since 08, and actually since 96, I, went, I became celibate and then went vegetarian and really went on a very deep spiritual journey. What happened then when I met this gentleman, uh, I... He asked, I took him to church. I'd never met somebody and took him to church the next day. But a friend of mine uh, felt that we needed to meet. He was from out of town, and we had an instant connection. So when I brought him, after we had lunch, he asked me to try to regress him. <coughs> As I regressed him, there was 
eight or ten lifetimes where he, his mother had died between five and ten years old. And he was at the church or at the cemetery burying his mother. And coming forward in this lifetime, also she had died and he had buried her. So he, he died with that. What happens is when we're young, it's very hard to move past those impressions when we die young, even harder almost than an adult. So uh, anyhow, what happened is we were able to go into the future time and him projecting what he wanted. And after that, he moved to New Mexico. And a couple of years later, he called me and I had given him a ceremony that when he felt complete with that to go into the mountains and do. And he had done and he finally felt released from it. So he would not be haunted anymore by losing his mother, not having a mother. Okay. Will you... And he, right. Yeah. He worked with the school board. He was like an arbitrator for the school school boards. If they had conflicts, he'd fly to Colorado. He was from Maryland. Fly to Colorado, to California. The last I'd heard, he had went to Europe to help them. So... Um, and I'm just curious, like, the pain that this person had suffered and the pain that you had suffered, these horrific deaths that you've endured, what was the purpose? What was the greater spiritual purpose of experiencing this enormous amount of pain? In order to get to the higher self, you have to get rid of the karma that's stored in the DNA. And the only way to get rid of it is not just with the brain or reading a book. You've got to go back and experience it. It's the experience that gives you wisdom. Most people get stuck in strong experiences. It's very hard to get past pain. Okay. But so you, die, you die with it. You've lost your mother. You're a young girl or a young boy. All your life you suffer because you did not have that parental love and nurturing. And you're going to die with those thoughts. And nine times out of ten, you're going to come back in and it's going to happen again. So, okay. I'm out of- it's part of evolution. It's not part of controlling our life. God doesn't set up there with... Uh, like the puppet, and move his strings around. God allows us free will to to journey into our suffering and let go of it. Well, what's the purpose of suffering to begin with? You said that when you suffer, you can attain wisdom. So, I'm not saying that. I'm saying an experience of anything will give you the wisdom. Knowledge comes from books and teachers. Wisdom comes from the experience. Have a tooth pulled and you hemorrhage. Another person doesn't hemorrhage. You know, this is what I learned in doing the psychic surgery is that if there's DNA in that area, one person's going to have trouble with the surgery where it's open and another's not. You get a gallbladder taken out, and some people are out two days later at the hospital. Other people are sick for two weeks. It's because it's open to DNA. Every square inch of our body has cell memory. 
That's part of the embodied soul. That's why we're here. We're here to uncover and nurture and heal every step that we have not healed from eternity. So are you saying that, um, correct me wrong, are you saying that we came to this physical plane because we have, we were suffering from another realm of existence and we came here to work ourselves out? And if that's the case, what would we be suffering from in this previous uh, realm of existence? Not everybody comes to suffer. Because some people choose to come to help. And in helping, some suffer, some don't. A baby might uh, come to be loved and nurtured because it died young and it doesn't know what the nurturing is. Another one may have had a horrible death and come into a womb that doesn't want it born yet. So it, it goes back out. And then when it's more prepared, as above, so below, we have to be prepared for the knowledge and for the wisdom. If we're not prepared, we can't accept it or allow it into our consciousness. It's all belief systems. Okay. Now, in your previous lifetimes, can we just talk about this one that really struck at me because I thought it was just fascinating as it was disturbing to, to read, was about this one time you had been talking to several people. You were surrounded in a circle by people. And it turns out that these people were the ones that had uh, tortured you and killed you when you were an Indian girl, and one person wouldn't come over and talk to you, I guess, but they finally worked out in the end. I know I'm butchering the story right now, but can you please describe that experience and the significance of that experience in your life? Well, see, the thing with these, I didn't decide I'm going to have a past life. What my guides would tell me is, okay, go on apples and water for three days. I learned that if I didn't, most of the time when I experienced these horrendous, horrendous stored past lives, I would get sick and throw up. So it's a lot easier to, to throw up apples and water than it is food. So I was told before I left to go to the Monroe Institute with this group of women to fast, which I did. But we went to see the crystal skull first, and that's where the experience started with seeing that, see there's timelines and people connected to past lives that will trigger these experiences when you're ready for them. And this uh, particular instance, there were eight or nine, I can't remember right now, people from around the world that was there for different reasons. After I had done some work inside, I, I came and fell on the ground and immediately became this young Indian girl being raped and then chopped up. And I would go in my body, I would feel the pain, I would scream and it would be too much and I would come out and see what was happening. And all of them were holding me except one woman. And finally this other lady that was used to doing the kind of work I do, she yelled at her to take hold of me. When she did, I experienced being chopped up. My body was jerking and jumping. She was the one that chopped me up. So, When I would come back into my body each time, 
I was telepathing forgiveness to the people holding me. And that's when I realized that they were actually the souls that had killed me in that lifetime. Okay. Now, and souls came together to release themselves from that karmic debt. When they came together to release their karmic debt, did they themselves experience the ramifications or the experience themselves of what the pain that they inflicted? They were from all over. The only thing I remember is they finally took me to the woman's house that uh, wrapped me up in a... uh, I was so cold because you get very, very cold. You enter into other dimensions with this reality. And so what happened is is, uh, I really got sick and sick and sick once I got got to her house. They took me in and put me in a bed and put me in an electric blanket, and different ones would come in. And one psychic from Europe that was part of that group said, you're digging deeper than anyone's ever dug. Don't quit. They all would come in and thank me. And later, the woman that had chopped me up that we were at her house, a, a, a month or so later, I saw her and asked her, what was going on with her. I don't know if she realized. She just knew that it scared her to touch me. Okay. And was she aware of what she had done? Well, I told her then. So I don't know how she handled it, but all these people are aware of past lives and, you know, are wanting to clear. Do you mind if I ask you, when you were in that lifetime as an Indian girl, what was the circumstances of your life at that point that allowed your soul to pull into your life that horrific experience? I don't think it was, I think it was collectively a time and space for these souls. A lot of them were from Europe, were at this particular place. Uh, the girl that took me and the woman, they were from California and uh, the one lady had worked for Shirley McLean. She'd call me and ask me if I'd be part of the group. So I think it was a collective energy of me being told by my guides to prepare. And I don't ask, see. I don't questions block the flow of energy. When you start, this is what Panadera teaches too. When you start questioning, you block the flow of energy. Okay. So I, I... Always believe that whatever I'm to know or do, I'll be given. I don't need to keep asking. So it just flows for me. It just happens. And I guess from my work in past lives, I'm able to alter my consciousness enough to wake up to these things. I don't know. Uh, Is there ways for people, you said that there are a lot, I mean, maybe all the people who are on earth carry with them some type of pain, some more severe than others. Is there a yes. way for individuals to release themselves from a, a karmic cycle of pain without having to re-experience the pain? Can they release the pain and release the suffering in a peaceful life? Well, you've got to have experience of the pain. See, that's what happens... Uh, you can regress people mentally, but that's just giving them an understanding of it. That's like teachers and books. 
it's not the understanding that releases it. It's the experience because you get the wisdom from the experience. In my Native American work, the dances, after about four dances, and Painadera said I could write about this, in the World Peace Dance, it's three days, no food or water. About the fourth dance, it's a six-year commitment, people will start having past life experiences. And I, when I was doing those dances, I was always up on the mountain helping people through it. So I believe that I came in with a lot of knowledge of this or I would not have taken on so much in my life to do. Okay. But I'm, I'm going to ask you this. If you have already experienced that, that pain and suffering from a previous life and you've, you've attained that, that wasn't, do you seek to reattain the experience of the pain in this life because of a forgetfulness when we come into this life where we forget a lot of our past lives? No, no. You, once you do that, you clear that, but you take the wisdom from it. Okay. And how can, one, how can a person tell? if they have accumulated uh, karma from a past life. Everybody has karma. That's why we're here. We're here to work through our karma. That's our embodied soul. And to know God, that God is in and through all of us. But most people are very, very separated. The medicine wheel finally gave me a good foundation of understanding. Shall I go through that a minute? Please do, yes. Okay, the east direction of the medicine wheel stands for the mind. It's the eagle there, which is awareness. The belief is that when we die, the eagle garbles our awareness. Once you get eagle medicine, you can go through the eye of the eagle and maintain your awareness when you come back. I believe that that is what I did. I think that's why I came in so aware. It took many years to understand that medicine, being told that I had it, been experiencing it. And uh, Castanetes writes, The Gift of the Eagle, and they say that once you have that, you have to bring 30 people back through the eye of the eagle after, you know, when they leave the planet. The second is your emotional body, the south. And the whole planet is healing its emotional body. Everybody's having to learn service to humanity. Everybody is being affected emotionally. Okay. In the West is your physical body, and it's reconciliation. That's where forgiveness comes in. You have to work through the mental and emotional reconciliation of what's happened in your physical world. That's how the karma moves along. Anything that's happened physically to you has been mental. It cannot get in your physical body unless it's been mental first. And then emotional. Some people know their thoughts, but they have blocked their emotions. And that's where lots of times when you experience a past life, and you're laying there being shot or bleeding to death or choked, you're going to show your emotion that you've blocked. Those that are so emotional do not realize in the South that they have a thought that created that emotion. So they have to pay attention to their thoughts 
that's the reason that's the beginning of everything. You have to pay attention to every thought you have. Okay. Now, going around the wheel, once you can reconcile something, you can truly go into the spirit, the north. And there is our spirit guides. It's also uh, parts of our, where we do soul retrieval, parts of our souls that are stuck in other lifetimes uh, or stuck in this life. A piece of our soul goes with somebody dying. Uh, different, different aspects of working with the spirit. This is also our purpose you're talking about. I keep hearing you say, what's the purpose, what's the purpose, what's the purpose? <laughs> if it's done, can it be done? Um, it can't be done if we're here. This is a big old schoolhouse, as they say, or you want to say it's a big old stage. It's all playing out one way or the other. So once you get to the north, to get to the, then you can get to the center of the wheel, and the center of the wheel has a fire all the time when we're doing ceremony, and that's called the children's fire. We believe that as long as the medicine wheel survives, we will, humanity will survive. And it also represents the mountaintop at the center, and it represents the father sky, the mother earth, the divine male and female principle, the father, mother, God. That's the medicine wheel. And I had a lot of knowledge, a lot of knowledge living in Virginia Beach in the 70s. Uh, for 30 years I lived there. And everybody that started out with all this work, you know, came through at the Edgar Casey at the ARE there. So I was exposed along with my sensitivities already and my seeingness to a lot of free thinkers, as you would say and uh, learned a lot. My soul was hungry to know and uh, just absorbed and really propelled me uh, into the uh, unity philosophy and then uh, ordained it a fellowship of inner light that acknowledged all peoples and all religions, which was better for me. And then I met Panadera and being part native, he was he is Southern Youth in Pickery's Pueblo, retired now, uh, but really gave me more of the foundation teaching of the medicine wheel so I could put all that knowledge that I had learned from books and people into some wisdom. And yeah, these two books are great. This one book that you have, The Master's Teaching to an American Healer, it's a phenomenal book and we'll post it on the site. It really offers a lot of some of the, your greater teachings and I mean, there's just so much um, I'd like to ask you, but I want to come back to something, Miss Perry, is that you were talking about how every kind of physical action is derived from a thought. And have you ever come across this idea, or maybe you've visually seen this, where there are influencing spirits that either somehow try to influence your thoughts or maybe even possess you to some degree? That are Oh, yeah, I work... Ten years with that kind of stuff. I don't do that anymore. But yeah, there's demonic energies and there's dissident, dissident. We call them dissident spirits. Okay. 
that when you meet in a group, you ask no dissident spirits. That's ones coming in wanting to cause problems. I mean, you know, there's darkness and light. Well, do these dissident spirits that are influencing your thoughts, every example, you have a thought that you want to go out and you want to punch someone, and even though you, you think about yourself that is not something you normally think of, that thought comes into play. Is that thought going to be manifesting itself physically, even though it's not something you have in your heart, but because that dark entity is kind of pushing that thought upon you? Well, the thing is, those sorts of thoughts, if you still have anger, and it took me a long time. That was one of the major things I had to work through. I, I came in with a lot of anger. And I was 44 before I worked through all that. And uh, it was wonderful because I was the only child in the sixth grade that took boxing, the only girl. So, you know, I used to just be ready to punch anybody out when I was young. But I came in with that anger. So anger is an energy. So if you've got that inside your body, everything's us. It's all in us. And everything else is reflecting that to us. So if that reflective thought is there and you haven't learned how to deal with your anger, you're going to maybe punch somebody out. Okay. But That's the reason there's so many steps, like I teach, you know, if somebody's yelling at you, step back and step to your left. Energy travels from left to right. That way you don't connect to it and don't judge it. The minute you judge it, you connect to it. Okay. So you become one with it. And another, if you were to offer someone advice about basically how to clear out that anger, how to clear out the, the, the pain and depression, you say step away from it. Do you also you also wrote in your book that you recommend writing things down. You said that when the word is written, that it's more powerful. Can you please explain the principle of that? Well, they've proven that the thought is four volts of electricity, and Unity teaches when you speak it, it becomes ten times more powerful. That's why when we chant, we chant out loud. That puts energy in our seven proven energy fields outside the physical. So um, the 50 times more powerful was given to me on a plane. Um, and I, I don't want to say who, but somebody very famous had written about their father. And they said, don't you understand the karma that she's going to face now having put that in the book? So the written word is 50 times more powerful than your thought. So yes, to write a forgiven release, you see it's energy. And when you, it to change, it takes breath, matter, and movement. That's what Painadera talks. That's the reason the dances are so important. But if you, I make people aware of how they're breathing, where they're hurting in their body when they write their forgiveness because that's where the energy is stored, and that's where your spirit is being blocked. The breath is the Holy Spirit. Do you think that people who smoke cigarettes or do anything that directly threatens their ability to increase their oxygen level are doing that on a subconscious level because they are blocking their spirit? I think it's because they're uh, angry. 
smoking, think about the in, the, the smoking. That's anger. Okay. So yes, they're blocking their anger, and just like alcohol drowns your stuff, you know. So, well, we're on the subject. What um, what impact would alcohol and even marijuana have on a person's vibrational spirit? Does that suppress your spirit in some capacities? Is there any additional benefit? I think it's totally different. They're different uh, uh, choices of they can be, I think, in moderation, fine. But the thing is, is most of the time people seek these things not in moderation. They're sad. uh, They're hurt. They're in despair. So they keep drowning that instead of dealing with it. The AA is really wonderful. It teaches people what to do, but they don't go so far as to teach people how to live what they do. One of my students is now a medicine woman, said that every AA person needs to come to me to learn how to live what they learn in AA. And I won't take anyone anymore that's not been five years in it because they haven't accepted responsibility for their own behaviors. And that's the first great step. It's always us. It's never no one else. You know what? I'd like to just shift right now real quick and talk about your experience with the Akashic Records, accessing the Akashic Records, because I think it's very unique. There was another individual, Edgar Casey, who we featured a profile on the show that had direct access. What are the Akashic Records to you, and how have you been able to access them? Um, I think that when it first started, it was probably my desire to clear out, and I broke into Higher Mind in 87 on the Ute Reservation uh, at the first World Peace Dance. That's a whole story, but... Uh, my teacher painted era said that's what happened. And my mind used to be like a thousand runaway horses. Then it became like no mind. My mind's like the sky. I know nothing but have access to everything. So uh, what happened is uh, I would for a while... uh, a long while be able to see two or three soul patterns and it would be verified by people by someone else had told them you know that that was their name or that that had happened to them so in my healing work I would take them back to that so they could experience it and get it out of their DNA so then what happened is for nine years I saw my husband suicide and thought I could change it And then finally, when it started acting out, I moved out, and that's when I started studying to be a minister. Uh, When I went through that nine years and he killed himself, uh, I withdrew from healing for eight months to heal myself. At that point, when I returned back, I would see eight or ten lifetimes, not just two or three. And that's when my guide said, you're working now deep within the Akashic Records. So when I lived in India, over there, they call them leaps. 
they have leaves that are done on every child when they're born to tell them the things that they will have to deal with in that lifetime. It's to help the parents. It's a Vedic astrology, which is supposed to be 30 times truer, or 30 points truer than ours. I don't know. Um, anyhow, uh, it was it'd be very quick flips that I would see where the soul is stuck. And when I lived there and started doing some healing on different people, they would always say, that came from my Akashic Records uh, or my leaf reading, which I learned is how they referred to Akashic Records. So for me... Um, There's times where I see halls and actual records, but there's other times that I'm just there. It's like the energy, and I've got it. And in your time there, have you ever, by chance, opened up the file cabinet in the Akashic Records that talks about the next 100, 200 years or what's going to happen on Earth? Because I think that maybe deep down inside, I guess there are a lot of people, myself included, are curious about what's humanity's destiny if all life incarnations and all lifetimes have occurred already and the process of eternity, I'm curious to know maybe what the next hundred years holds for humanity. Well, I haven't had any big desire to know uh, that. I mean, I've been told that I'm a prophet, that I was a prophet before, but I don't think in this lifetime that's been, I mean, a man, uh, an elder from Africa, told a friend of mine when I walked across the room, please get her. She's a prophet and, and let her do it for our city of peace in Africa. Uh, see, Africa took on torment for the world. Uh, things like that that just come to me easily. I'm more interested in, in helping people to heal their self. When I was at the UN with Swami in 2000, Swami Permanon, in 2000, he was one of the speakers there, and I was an observer. Uh, about 10 people said the same thing in different ways. Go home and find peace in your family, and there'll be peace in the world. See, that's what I'm working for, to help people to find their peace, and forgiveness will do that. I mean, you may need to get a divorce, but reconcile your differences because you can believe one thing that that person you're divorcing or breaking up with or has molested you or whatever, it's not just now. It goes back to other times, either with that person or another situation. Okay, I need to pause you there for one second because we had a conversation about this uh, offline where you said that sometimes... If the karmic cycle of two people goes, and let's say, for example, 90, one person is 90% done with their relationship, and the other person still has 10% to go, you're still tied to that person, so you've both fulfilled your karma contract. And I'm curious to know is that when one person says, listen, we're going to get divorced in this lifetime, does that, by default, sever or end the karmic ties? Uh, yes. Yes, if, if a person has... Say, like you said, 90% and another one has 10% to learn. 
and suppose the 9% learns it all and the 10% haven't done anything. You're finished or you're stuck with that. Okay, and does that other person have to find a like-minded spirit or energy in order to perform? Have to, but they will. That's part of the karma they hold. That's what It's inside of us. That's what you'll attract. Just like I had anger inside of me, so I attracted a medicine man that knew how to work with that, and through the ceremonies, I was able to finally release my anger. I'm beating out on the ground out in Colorado my forgiveness at the uncle that molested me, and he dies in a garden plot in Florida of a heart attack. With, when you have that experience, do you are you aware that you'll ever have to come in contact with those people? And this is a two-part question. Is In addition to that, if somebody... Oh, I felt finished with him okay. because it was a release, and I feel that perhaps I was holding him here by my hate and resentment of him. Okay. If somebody... And once released that energy, he released his life, so he could come back and keep working. I don't have to work on that. I don't have to walk down a, a you know, when I was younger, I was always afraid of somebody going to attack me or hurt me. And it didn't just come from this life, it came from others. And I live out on 10 acres. People say, how do you, you know, aren't you scared? I'm not scared at all. That has gone out of my consciousness. It's always us. It has to be in us to attract it. We're not victims. God doesn't make victims. People make victims. Do you think that... And see, that's my work, helping people to move out of their victim consciousness. Do you, if you were to describe the world maybe even 30 or 50 years ago, the way it was today, do you feel that the world is more victim-minded? Because it seems that if you looked at pop culture... And the the twenty four seven media, it seems that victims are elevated, are elevated to be seen as higher up. People become victims in order to elevate themselves. And I was wondering if that is why you, you there might be a reason for that. Why there's so much of a victim mentality in, right now? Well, I don't know. When I was ordained by Paul Solomon, he's passed now. He started the fellowships of inner light, starting at Virginia Beach. He said that 70% of the people I worked with would be in a victim consciousness. What I have found with AA people, if they do their program by the fifth year, then they are not in a victim consciousness. As long as you need to blame someone else or something else for what's going on with you, you're in a victim consciousness. Uh, Sally. And maybe because of where I am, I don't attract that, or I say I will not anymore take students or bring people around because what I notice is then the other students start correcting them and they feel more victimized, you see. Yeah. They need to be in a group of blaming each other. People, Birds of feather flock together is what my grandmother used to say. In terms of the souls that are coming in with a maybe seventy percent victim mentality, you, the new souls know. New souls know. Yeah. What is the difference between the souls that have been here and new souls? Because there's a book by um, I'm trying to remember her name. She wrote the book called Convoluted Universe, 
and she said that there's a there are three volunteers, the three waves of souls that are coming in that have not had any previous life, life previous life incarnations. They're coming here without the karma of the previous lives. I'm curious to know what kind of souls are here now and what what souls were here in the past. Well, I think that uh, I forget her name, but she wrote the Conscious Parent. Uh, Oprah's had her on. She's from Delhi, India, and she says the children are here not for you to wrong them or fault them. Any fault you see with them, they're mirroring what the parent needs to heal. Okay. So I believe that. See, AIDS, AIDS is taking uh, shame and guilt off the planet. Years ago when it came, I used to own beauty business in Virginia Beach. I, I fasted for 10 days. I wanted to know what that was about. And uh, it was about shame and guilt. And every time I've spoken or that comes up, I always address it that we should honor those people. And the new children coming in, even the uh, the crystal children and the people, the indigo kids before that, they would not let you shame and guilt them. But, you know, our whole society worked around shame and guilt. And even in business, you've tried to make people feel bad if they weren't performing like you thought they should, you know? Yeah. But that's that's leaving the planet. And they said that uh, it will go at uh, it will go as it the plague will go as it has come once shame and guilt is eradicated off the planet. So that's where humanity is moving towards. Pardon? Is that, where, is that where you see the future of humanity moving towards, moving towards more just general acceptance? Yes. No shame and guilt. Okay. Uh, you know what? There are so many great parts about your book. Chronicles of a Healer, She Who Dances. I have to tell you that I, I'm going to highly recommend it to everyone because it just really is an amazing story about your life. And then it talks, especially in the back, about one of your about some of your advice for people who are really seeking to, to heal themselves. And you really yeah. you emphasize so many times about the act and the art of forgiveness. Now, say for example, somebody meets someone and they have this, um, they have a bad relationship, and they forgive them. How many times does the person need to forgive in order to clear their stuff out? I mean, can you forgive someone but not forget or still feel the pain and suffering of the pain they inflicted upon you? If you don't forget, you haven't forgiven. But if you write every day, what I tell people, if you've got one person, write for 21 days and see how it moves. I've heard on TV, I know that that takes it out of the subconscious, but I heard that 144 days uh, changes the brain cells. I don't know. Uh, I meant to write that down, but I didn't. I live in no mind, so <laughs> I'm I'm here, but then I work in... I have for a very long time other other levels of consciousness, other dimensions. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask you about those other levels of consciousness? And is there any visuals about that are that make this? That make sometime, this? yes. Sometime, yes. So, are there, are there non-physical realms of existence? Okay, I'm going to give you one example. Okay. Uh, when the tsunami came, remember. Some years back, I can't remember. This was so vivid to me because what happens if there is a big uh, universal thing that goes on on the planet, I'm usually called in to help. So I'll usually get 
to fix a soup or some food, you know. And primarily, I'm here by myself except when I'm doing uh, uh, private work or a group work. Anyhow, I was told, you know, to prepare myself. And the tsunami happened, and they said, you have to help the people that are strong enough to have survived it so that they can help reestablish those communities. So what I did is I was very aware of telling they had these children laying on the beach. And I could look and tell if their mind was so messed up that they couldn't uh, really function good in this life. I wasn't able to help those. Also, if their heart had been so damaged from it, I couldn't help them. But those that seemed to be strong of mind and heart, I would give energy to. I would bend over and take my hand, put my hand on their head and on their heart, and then I would skip over. And this one woman was really angry at me and screaming that I was missing these people. And I kept working and she kept screaming. And I had to move away and back her up and say, I know what I'm doing. I have to help the ones I'm helping so that people can survive. And that went on three days. Wow. And so people actually visually saw you when you were doing these? Oh, I guess so. Uh, you know, I don't know. I just do the work. I don't know. If um, when people are on Earth and they clear out all the karma and they come to peace, and they, they, everything is kind of made balanced, where do they go from there? Is Earth just one of many trillions of realms of existence, of evolutions? Oh, there's many. As above, so below. We're working. When someone passes on to pray for them, light for them, it's just as powerful to forgive them. It's just as powerful as if they're here. We're energy. That's all we are, and that's about what it is, energy. The soul is energy. Okay, and from what you're aware of, is this a rare dimension in the sense that it has the principles of pain and suffering in it? Are there other, a, a majority of the other realms of existence maybe um, have the options of experiencing and evolving in a more pleasurable-like manner without the pain and suffering? I think that in between, you can go and work. It, you know, if you're very service oriented, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean you're higher evolved. You could have stuff locked in your heart you're not willing to give up yet. But, so you'll work maybe in the angelic realm, helping people across those sorts of things until you soften enough to come back in a physical form and then maybe get rid of those blocks. Okay. Got it. And the final question I have for you, Ms. Perry, is, <laughs> no, this is great, well, question I have for you, is how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered, and will you be coming back anytime soon after your, after your recent... Most- how do I want to be remembered? Is yeah. someone that loved people and loved God uh, and taught people to understand that God is not outside of them, but inside of them. 
and I said I wasn't coming back. You know, I knew it was my last time. I didn't want to come back. Uh, but Swami Paramanan, a few years ago in North Carolina, um, asked me to come back and help him, and I said no. And he's charging across the room, and I'm charging across. I said, I will not. I will not. And the people that, the Indian people, the couple in there, their eyes were getting bigger and bigger. You know, I can't believe she would tell Swami that, you know. And finally, I said, okay, because I know about when he's going to go. And and uh, uh, so I gave him years more. I said, you stay here so many years, and, and I'll come back. And he stopped, and his little shoulders dropped, and I felt so bad. And then in 07, he had a heart attack and has two stents. So in 08, I made a special trip to India to tell him that I would come back, and he wouldn't let me say it. Uh, he sent everybody out of the room, and he looked at me and said, I know, and then he took me off on another level. And then when we come back again, I was going to voice it in the physical. <laughs> and he, these other people come back in, and he turned away from me. He looked at me and says, I know. And then he just kept teaching, you know. That's great. So, uh, you know, I think as, as uh, life experiences happen, uh, I have a cosmic heart and that was a whole thing to get to that, uh, which holds so much compassion that I'll probably come back, I, you know. But after so many years of so much and so many healings and da 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 uh, you know, you want to just curl up in a hammock on an island somewhere. Ms. Ogberry, that was a great interview. I got uh can't tell you how much we appreciated it. And to learn more about Ms. Sally Perry, please go to her website at Sally, S-A-L-L-Y-P-E-R-R-Y dot net. On there, you can get Sally's newsletters. You can find out about her books. Um, she's got a lot of great lessons and teachings on there. And you can also contact her on there. Ms. Perry, it was a truly an honor. And I'm so thankful to have you on the program today. It was wonderful speaking to you. It was my honor and privilege. Got it. Always to bring light to the people. Joining us now is globally respected psychic medium, Miss Carrie O'Connor. We can learn more about Miss O'Connor by going to her website at carrieoconnor.net. Miss O'Connor, what can you tell us about Reverend Sally Perry? Reverend Sally Perry, when I look at her energy, Ryan, I see what I call the blue lady energy. And that's somebody that's strongly connected to, you could say, um, in some ways, it'd be the Virgin Mary, Mary Magdalene, Kuan Yin energy. She has a very strong blue lady energy. She comes in here when the Indians save the babies come in with their born with their eyes wide open. They're the seers and the visionaries. She definitely was born with a child with her eyes wide open. Okay. Fascinating individual. Is there any reason... I mean, you can say she's had to go through so many lifetimes that have been so excruciatingly painful. You know, Ryan, I was thinking about that when I was listening to the recording. And then if you think about all of eternity is stored in our energy fields and what humanity goes through when we come in this incarnation, 
the ones, the lifetimes that we tap into are those ones that tend to hold the, it's an electrical imbalance. If you just really keep it simple, we're electrical magnetic beings. You go into the one that's staticky, it looks staticky to me, and then I'll look at a lifetime of trauma. And I love that she uses the word root cause. So there's a part of her that she came in as some people do it, the martyred soul, where they come in and show the bigger cause, where especially the Indian lifetime. And I thought it was fascinating where she ended up meeting every single person that held her down, uh, raped her, then chopped her up. And she was able to do major, major, it's a collective soul recovery. And the way I see that triple now is that anybody that's ever experienced rape or surprise betrayal attack, that ripples through the dimensions and freeze. It looks to me like keys go into people's energy fields so they can unlock themselves or start to unlock themselves from that pain and suffering or that cycle that they're in. So she she comes in with a strong teacher, but she's also like the martyred soul. Okay, in terms of that pain and suffering, is it, I mean, is that if something like that happens, do you think that could have a substantial negative impact across the dimensions where it actually damages humanity that such a horrific act took place in the consciousness of humanity? I mean, is there some times where horrific acts like rape and murder don't further the greater evolution uh, i mean they just they're just paying for the sake of pain yeah it's i see that ryan as sometimes you could hear about i just saw charles manson right so think of that case where he went in there murdered a pr- pregnant woman and all these people just senseless uh, cult things and so that caused a ripple effect where it woke up people to the occult into cult energy and so you could look at it on both sides you could look at it on one side where it's like wow that just really got people into an awareness of that people could hand over their power to somebody so easily and why do people hand over their power and so again there's always that the yin yang there's the positive negative that's always working and then other times people went in and they wanted to be charles manson right they imitated him or they tried to um have cults after their after uh, his actions so there are acts that bring up that has the potential to bring out the negative but the way i see it energetically is a great big magnet over the earth and when we are able to pull up collectively our worst pains and our worst um acts to be honest collectively and individually and then be able to me it looks like a slicing or a lancing of an energetic blister it allows for profound healing and that's what i believe this lifetime is all about okay and is there any lifetime that she had that was of recent memory or let's say for example even the last 500 years where it wasn't traumatic where it was actually relatively peaceful where she wasn't going well, through a tra- trauma yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. When we come in, we go to the traumatic ones first, and then all of a sudden we could have access to those that are um, non-traumatic. And I see a lifetime with her in particular that she really guides her, but it's not a lifetime in this earth plane. It's a Syrian lifetime, and I'm, I'm watching her. It looks like she's pouring this beautiful gold liquid energy or white liquid energy that goes through the grids, and it goes to the dark. And so she's very much connected to the Syrian energy and that's not too far back in our incarnational experience that's why she came in um so awake so the people who listen to this show when they tap into either your energy or anyone else's energy who we feature if people tap into sally perry's energy and they really focus their attention on her what kind of soul transitions or impact on their souls can they expect to occur 
they are invited to go into their heart. She's a huge person about inviting people to really understand forgiveness and to look fear right in the face because so many times people put their worst fears and nightmares. They don't want to acknowledge them. But she's all about looking at your worst fears, nightmares, traumas right directly on. And to me, that's what it looks like when I'm doing healings. It's like I'm lancing the energetic cyst and in it contains all the stories and those experiences or lifetimes that are stored within the energy, the mental, emotional body. So so when we look at it heads on and we are able to lance it, and that's what she's here to remind us, to lance those traumatic experiences so we can move forward and get into those wonderful lifetimes. Awesome. Miss Carrie O'Connor, that was a phenomenal analysis. Thank you so, so much. You're welcome, Ryan. All right. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. And to learn more about Miss O'Connor, please go to our website at carrieoconnor.com. Joining us now is the Astrophenom, Miss Constance Stellis. Learn more about Miss Stellis by going to her website at constancestellis.com. Miss Stellis, what can you tell us about the life of Reverend Sally Perry? An interesting chart, to be sure. <clears throat> um, Reverend Perry is a Pisces, the last sign of the zodiac. And when I say last, um, I kind of think of Pisces as between heaven and earth, or between earth and heaven. Um, because the the accumulation of spirit and wisdom and guidance that Pisces represents is always present in those born in uh, that time period, which is the um, end of February, March, before uh, Aries, the spring equinox. Um, now, some Pisces don't tap into this, and they're more involved with, you know, kind of music and illusion and other things, but that is not the situation for Reverend Perry. Um, coupled with her Pisces son, she also has the moon in Pisces. And our last uh, discussion of Jane included that too. So that's a double indication of the um, compassion, sensitivity, and high-mindedness or high-feelingness that Reverend Perry has. Now what's interesting here is that Pisces is water, and um, can be very, very uh, hazy, uh, flaky, uh, spacey, um, many, you know, often their own lagoon, because they really do see a better world, and the world as it currently is is not so um, copacetic uh, with their energies. So there is this um, desire and need to retreat and recharge. However... Reverend uh, Perry has one, two, three, four positions in Aries. First sign of the zodiac, kind of the pioneer and go-getter of the zodiac. And this fire energy kind of burns brightly in her life and in her mission. Um, she's a warrior, a warrior of great compassion and um the um, the energy that she offers in her, uh, I guess, uh, congregation or to people is an unusual blend of these two characteristics. So um, she she has compassion, and then she can get people really fired up about whatever it is that she um, uh, is interested in or wants to share with them. Um, keeping her down here on planet Earth is um, three. Uh, positions in Taurus, uh, the Earth sign Taurus. That's Mars and Uranus and the rising sign of Taurus. 
So it takes a lot of energy to be any kind of healer, channeler, um, even minister when you're dealing with people in their most sensitive um, moments or situations. And uh, if you're not um, really grounded, you you suffer. So she has the grounding to do many, many focused um healings. I would say, I know you said she's a channeler, I would say she also hearkens to shamanism. Um, I don't know wh- how she channels, maybe she takes a, you know, a dream trip or not, but um, that that seems to me to be very important. And uh, when you said she's, you mean her, her background is Cherokee or she channels a Cherokee uh, spirit? I think she does have a, on a, either a physical or a metaphysical level, I think she does have a a deep resonance with the Cherokee. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, the Cherokee Nation is... Uh, each one of the tribes has an affinity astrologically, and I don't know exactly the Cherokee affinity. I know that some of the southwestern um, uh, Hopi and Lakota and that are connected to Scorpio, which is not very strong in her chart. So I think the Cherokee signature is a different one. I should look into that. But um, a high-minded person with an incredible amount of energy and um, probably has had a great number of experiences herself that she's had to digest and uh, find her way through. And she's coming up to a rip-roaring time, um, rip-roaring in the sense of spirit, not in times of, you know, like big parties, uh, because Neptune uh, has sensitized her sun, and then will move, I mean, to her moon, and then will move to her sun position within the next two years. So any work that she uh, has done and is doing is going to be, let's say, Neptune-tinged. It's almost like, I I think about like fairy dust, you know, very much in touch with the great beyond and able to communicate that to the people that uh, she's helping. She's um, a natural helper. That's what she's meant to do, and that's what she's doing. That based on the chart that you see for Sally Perry, what other individual would likely have a chart like that? Um, a very, very um, accomplished actor who plays many different roles and almost loses himself in or herself in, in the roles. Um, a... A uh, religious person in retreat, um, or uh, well, I'm going to go back to my warrior image. Um, a person whose energy is is um, formidable enough to make war in any way he or she chooses, like you know, a samurai. I mean, but that's the wrong culture. I mean, she's not Japanese. Um, there's a lot that's hidden in her chart, but she has um, surmounted the secrets and is kind of front and center with helping people. Miss Constance Ellis, that was a phenomenal analysis. Thank you, thank you so much. And to learn more about Miss Ellis, please go to her website at constancestellis.com. Thank you so much, Miss Ellis. You're very welcome. Joining us now is globally respected psychic medium. Miss Lisa Kaza. To learn more about Miss Kaza, please go to our website at lisacaza.com. Miss Kaza, 
What can you tell us about Miss Reverend Sally Perry? I have to say, I was I was rather intrigued by her by her interview. Um, I found it interesting. There's there's uh, the first thing that came into my head as I was listening uh, to her speak was actually the words of one of my native elders, and it was something that he always said to me, and it was, "You could never never walk more than one path at a time." because otherwise you're going to end up tripping, stumbling, or falling down, and you won't know which, which end is up. Now, I always disagreed with that, because it's like, you know what, just watch me. I can do it. I know I can. Sally Perry is living proof of this. Uh, she literally does follow one, uh, more than one path at a time. And what I mean by that is that she takes our native spirituality or tradition combines it with new age, combines it with, um, you know, what she has learned in, in past lives in, like I see her as being in Tibet and in India and Egypt. So all these, all this different teachings and wisdoms, she literally takes what is useful or is true and leaves the rest, which may I add is something that my native elder would always say to me too. Well, you know, if something doesn't feel right to you, just leave it and just take the rest. Well, this is what Sally's done. And as a result, she has definitely really strengthened herself and her teachings. They're very powerful teachings. And what I also found interesting is she's, she's so strong and so so powerful that as she's mentioned in her interview as a young child she she knew that she had this a special gift and what happened is that she literally i, I i'm feeling probably in her teens just ran head first with it just full force with, with her gift. she didn't block herself from anything she wanted to know everything and do everything and that was part of her spirit as well. Her spirit, I feel, was a little bit impatient with the learning process of the, or the opening up process. Because usually, and I found this interesting, usually when any one person um, starts to grow their metaphysical abilities, whether it's, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's tarot reading or mediumship or clairvoyance like myself or healing, it doesn't matter, we grow in stages. We grow gradually, um, just like you would be in, in school. You, you graduate from grade one, grade two, grade three, and, and so on. That's literally how divine sets us up. And the reason for that is because we can't get overloaded. You know, we get, if, if we were to receive everything all at once, we get overloaded and bombarded and we ultimately go crazy. But I don't see that with Sally. And this is what has intrigued me the absolute most. She has almost mastered the walking of the, of the more than one path, like I say. But she literally was so open. It, it's like the floodgates just literally gushed forth all this information into her. And like the best way to describe it, is you know when you have a test or, or an exam and oh oh I, I I got a I you know I didn't uh, study last week the exams tomorrow oh oh I better pull an all nighter and I'm going to cram it. It's kind of like 
it's almost like that. Her spirit was so impatient with the process of growing. She's going, no, no, no. I want it all, and I want it all right now. Give it to me, kind of thing. And so she crammed it. And uh, so that that's what I feel has, has happened with Sally and what has really set Sally apart from actually the majority of us because, like I say, we usually grow gradually. Not Sally. I feel that she's she's done a tremendous amount of growth in the least amount of time. But the thing is, I do feel that as a result of, of I'll call it the cramming, or the overflowing, the gushing forth of the infall, I feel that in her, within her subconscious, um, there is information that is still to come out from her. So she, there's still more that she is going to be learning and revealing to everybody as she, as she goes along. Once again, it's a lot like cramming for that exam. Unfortunately, sometimes we tend to miss uh, a few important key points for the exam, and then, oh, no, now what? You know, it's kind of the same thing where we miss that key point or somewhere along the way. It's like that. But if she has it, it's just in the subconscious waiting to be let out. So I, I feel that within the next, I'd say, five to ten years, because she has slowed down tremendously with the growth, um, which is normal now. She's got the normal rate of growth now. These more, the more subconscious wisdom and knowledge will indeed come out. And Lisa, is there anything that you can gauge or sense about the next life incarnation she's going to have? She's definitely coming back. That's for darn sure. And the reason for that is because the, her love for people in general is just too great. She can't ignore what is in her spirit to do. It's, it's her purpose. Um, I feel that she will be, definitely be returning um, quite quickly, actually, um, within five years of passing from, from my understanding, five to six years. And I see her as pretty much picking up where she left off. She, but... Um, her her childhood is going to pretty much mirror this childhood in this lifetime, but I feel that she's going to go even further with her teachings. I see her as being more well-known, uh, more in the public eye than what she is now. But she's going to definitely be doing this, the same work, the healing and the teaching. Miss Lisa Kaza, that was a great analysis. Thank you, thank you so much. And to learn more about Miss Kaza, please go to our website at Lisa, L-A-S-A Kaza, C-A-Z-A dot com. Thank you so much, Miss Kaza. Oh, thanks for having me, Ryan. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limited Truth. Special thanks to our incredible guest, Swami Satchidinath, Reverend Sally Perry. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Kaza, and Ms. Constance Dellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care and thank you so much for listening.